0: No. (laughs) Later. This is a Frank Ocean song.
1: seat headrest covering Frank Ocean's Ivy and uh, I'm wrecked
2: uh, Paul I am wrecked again uh, because he played this song or let me start again this is a recording of him playing this song at the car seat headrest concert I attended in Olympia Washington Damn, bro. Um, and he was out there in his uh, Lucy Dacus t-shirt um, oh. by himself uh, playing this to start the encore um, mm-hmm. and uh, it was um, in this recording it, it feels a, a little more searing and a little more personal I, I think in the context of having just moshed for over an hour to yeah. car street headrest it, it was kind of a uh there's a bit of relief to it you know there was a respite to just kind of settling down and and enjoying this frank ocean cover um before uh you know the I, i'm sure 13 minute plus uh version of uh, beach life and death that followed yeah uh so uh, but beautiful cover
1: oh my god it's actually kind of been my anthem for the past couple weeks yeah in my Head constantly also yeah. i went back to the original frank ocean song and that has been trading with it um although yeah no offense against frank i really really love this version my god
2: (sighs) frank sometimes uh i I feel like in in, with this song he kind of um he holds back a little bit or he just does his frank ocean thing
1: yeah well at the end when it gets sort of screechy it's uh it's an interesting move but it's not as just like gutting again Mm -hmm. um so Yeah, I don't think he played this at the show I saw on that tour, um, or I just didn't notice. Um, But uh, damn, bro, what an album, this live album.
2: Yeah, it's Uh, great, and I I found it um, to be really representative of of this tour and also just how fun and brutal they are live.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Uh, oh man. I'm almost too overwhelmed, uh, just from having listened to them in two minutes of it to talk about. <laughs> it. He's uh, up man. in your fields. Oh yeah. W- way hard. Me and yeah. me and Will. Yeah. Um, who's like half my age. Um, good place
2: but, to be. Good place to be up in the fields, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm. Yes. Uh so uh listen to this album. Good stuff. Yeah. Like every single car seat headrest album that's not there, his insanely early just Bandcamp dump band yeah. camp dump uh it's worth hours of your time
1: mm-hmm. mm. okay sorry that was, that was too much of a doubter for an intro um yeah how do we transition joe to our our classic hilarious intro bit paul we- one thing about this live album
2: is it will not be on our best of q2
1: Yeah. Uh, For 2019. Because that won't exist. That's right. A famous, longstanding, seminal institution Mm. has died because we were too lazy to keep it going.
2: Yeah, and it also became, I think we we both came to this conclusion independently. Uh, It it became a bit of a drag to um, try and compile uh four different shows worth of best of material uh yeah all the year all all, all year long
1: yeah and it was I don't know uh (laughs) it was just like pressure man I don't podcast for pressure I podcast for (laughs) relief
2: well I'd say that you know for me uh I find albums that I enjoy throughout the year but I don't really compare them too much to anything else it's like the the whole they're the best of they're kind of like the only of I mean if I listen Mm -hmm. to something and I'm not interested in it I I just kind of like discard it true and you know I guess I came up with some honorable mentions but in some ways that would like be sort of arbitrary Mm -hmm. um, an arbitrary critical distinction um that you know separated some of the albums I was listening to a lot from the
1: others yeah and for me it was like just um I felt like a a completely uh pointless obligation to the music to get these lists right (laughs) and (laughs) the that just uh was uh too much uh too much weight to be worth it really so uh, from from now on we'll just talk about good albums as they happen yes like, that and will work. uh be in
2: complete agreement about all of them
1: mm-hmm. yeah uh um,
2: rather than the occasional uh <laughs> modest disagreement yeah
1: the occasional like yes this good <laughs> i don't just love it though it's Such just searing take um yeah no it'll be good hope everybody uh uh, can still find good music without that um, that uh, monument to quality ever, happening every three mm. months.
2: But the good news is we're still going to talk about uh, new albums all the time, and in fact, this frees us to not wait, yeah, uh, f- for some arbitrary length of time. Yeah, um, usually about five to six months from when the album came out <laughs> to actually discuss it. Yeah, totally. for seven minutes.
1: <laughs> um. Yeah. So there you go, Joe. Drop the fucking beat. Yes. <laughs> I am dropping the beat. Cool. Hold on. I got to take my shirt off. It got really warm. Awesome. Yes, yes, and so you don't
0: stop. Cool ID, best rapper, you don't stop. Another fucking hundred fucking dollar freestyle for you and your mom. Come on, yeah. You can never define anything but divine love. I'm a savage beast slightly above average at least now preference is relative my references consistently uh bring you to another vicinity i hit you with the riddles consistently Dead in the middle a little tripling little did we know that we triggered the fissure in the metaphysical imagery elegant painted in oil love is a flower see how dissolving the power
2: um and welcome Dissolve to savage power beast i'm joe gallagher with me as always Going ten miles per hour less fast than he would like to. It's Paul McLeod. <laughs>
1: um, uh, if I'm listening to Bandana, it's twenty miles per hour less fast mm-hmm. than I want to be. Mm-hmm. That's what the law mandates.
2: Uh, if you're in Tucson, get mm-hmm. the
1: fuck out of Paul's way. He's driving fast. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. I'll be polite about it. Yeah, he's getting
2: um, into those RPMs on the on the Ford
1: Focus. Yeah, there was actually like a four-car wreck right at the intersection right outside my apartment this morning. Oh. Yeah. And is that uh, a,
2: you drive is it a is it a uh uh is it a manual or an automatic that Focus? Oh, they
1: only sell the Ford Focus ST in manual, my oh, friend. Oh,
2: okay, okay. No, you know sometimes it's got the now these days sometimes they only sell that in the um battle shift type configuration. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck that shit, man. I want mm. a stick a four on the floor, as apparently they used to be called. I only recently learned that that was what that term meant. Yeah. If a four speed with a floor mounted shifter is what a four on the floor doesn't originally was. Does
2: not Four on the floor? I mean, it also disco then beat? later
1: became like a beat pattern. Yeah. But I think the, 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 the car terminology predates.
2: Like staying alive. Isn't that four on the floor?
1: Yeah, yeah. Like the classic is disco beat. Deep. Where you've, got the, where you've got the bass drum hitting on every uh, quarter note hmm yes uh-huh and that's exactly
2: how you drive a stick shift
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> no and apparently in cars the opposite of the four on the floor in 70s parlance was the three on the tree uh still a manual but three speed and on the steering column as opposed to on the floor wow today i learned yeah uh this that you know what that's actually a music related observation because I learned that from genius.com when I was reading the lyrics to Charlie Daniels' Uneasy Writer. Hmm. And why were you learning those lyrics? Man, do you really want the full backstory cuz it's abstruse? Uh, uh so Charlie Daniels um uh this week he's still alive. I wasn't totally aware of that. Uh-huh. Uh tweeted uh basically a pro Trump or pro Trumpism uh you know Y'all get the fuck out of here, you, uh, 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 what was the exact word he used? Um, what, uh, oh, politically, uh, uh, correct Americans. He's not with them. Um, so, and then, uh, one of the funnier Twitter accounts I follow, uh, bitter anagram, um, uh, uh, clapped back at him, uh, saying, uh, Thank you, sir. Big fan of your uh, tribute to politically incorrect uh, Americans, Uneasy Writer, which is uh, the point being, Uneasy Writer is absolutely about being uh, against dominant ideology. And apparently in the last 40 years, uh, Charlie Daniels became a dipshit. So there you go.
2: Yeah. So the answer is no. I didn't want the backstory. As yeah.
1: You <laughs> Sorry. You asked. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, no, that was
2: good. That was good. Uh, you know, but if if. Uh, um uh, anytime we can get into Twitter beefs on this show, or yeah, our exactly. analysis of a Twitter beef, yeah, which a Twitter, we do
1: not pe- play a part. A tweet seen by perhaps 500 people has now been enshrined in this podcast. That's,
2: I mean, that's pretty high for some of the tweets. <laughs> well, like we I discuss. said, Bitter Anagram
1: is pretty funny. He's got some followers. Um, uh, Paul,
2: uh, let's get into it. we got a lot of stuff to discuss. We're going to talk about two new albums first. Um, let's talk about Freddie Gibbs and Mad Mm -hmm. bandana yes
1: Yes. authors of my favorite hip-hop album of 2014 have now produced my favorite hip-hop album of 2019 Mm -hmm. and uh in the running
2: for my favorite album period yeah oh totally
1: totally totally um so uh yeah let's listen to some tracks uh i would recommend half main half cocaine which is a pretty funny title that works for me
3: yeah, 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 niggas will
1: never learn, yeah, These niggas will never learn,
3: yeah, niggas will never learn, Bridges burn, burned, take turn, fuck niggas, they will never learn, never learn,
1: that about the almighty dollar, and they my concern, they my concern. Pussy you get it, pussy too outside of me, ain't my concern That ain't my concern I just bought head in a 458. Yeah, that's what <laughs> I deserve Nigga, I deserve Big old house and two thick bitches making grits Let a seat in a new candy, paint it with Bitch, I came out the wound on some gangsta shit. shit Hope I knew you was up, you could take a lick Set them up for my bitch, we could a lick. I just broke up a brick on the east with the kick Who you banging with? You know that me and Diego takin we'll be taking shit We taking shit Rays burn, tables turn Fuck, niggas never learn Chicken dinner, in the sports center when I whip a fur now uh i chose that track again called half main half cocaine uh because uh i have a critical weakness to sick kick drum sounds hmm. and uh uh, Mad Lib uh, like Jay Dilla before and alongside him um, brings those and um, then on top of that you have this sort of spacey uh, synth vibe and it almost gets a little like mystical there on the hook and uh, I don't know it's sort of the best of what they do together weird but also hard and fast.
2: Yeah, I ran a, a 5K uh, like a week and a half ago, and, uh, you know, I have my running playlist that I was listening to, but I decided to um, uh, forsake that for the first part of the run and listen to this album instead, and uh, I found at the end that I'd run uh, my fastest mile uh, ever recorded in my little running app. That is, um,
1: it's oral cocaine, man. it is. It is um and man don't, i just don't try to run on coke kids That's <laughs> that gonna be good you.
2: <laughs> yeah. um just just this album close <laughs> enough um yeah i just i, I th- to me uh, what i was thinking about during that run is that mad lib is kind of like if radiohead had a different singer for every album they released i mean <laughs> the music behind it is just it's unimpeachable these beats mm-hmm. um I, I cannot describe how what a treasure each of them is um without sounding like a, a crazed fan you can sound like a crazed fanboy. Crazed I, fan I love it i love it it's a great it's a great out it's even better than their last album together mm-hmm. um and i i think it flows so well together and uh it's it's a lot of fun of course, yeah. Freddie Gibbs brings brings the, the uh, serious fun to it, if you
1: will. <laughs> yeah, you know what's funny is like um, uh, Mad Libs beats, um, you wouldn't say they're out of time, but they're like, uh, there's a little bit of a sort of, um, uh, not mushiness, but a swing maybe you might say to them, mm-hmm. a little um, non-totally quantized, uh, uh, to use a technical production term um a rhythm to them whereas freddie gibbs is uh one of the most like straight ahead on the beat rappers uh who rules uh Mm. that who's going and so it's an interesting contrast and i feel like a little bit on the first album uh sometimes um well sometimes actually it worked really well because i feel like freddie kind of pulls the beat into time a little bit with his rapping but uh so certainly no slag on the on Pinata, which I love, but here on Bandana, um, I feel like somehow it just meshes all the better together, which is funny, too, because apparently the way they made this album was, uh, and this seems to be Madlib's uh, uh, mode most of the time, is he took several CDs of his, you know, just hundreds of hours of beats he's put together and sent them to Freddie Gibbs, and, uh, like, Freddie just took the beats as they were and rapped over them. And that's what happened. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
1: So um, uh, I don't know. It's impressive that a process that uh, disparate, uh, uh, you know, of two guys working so disparately could um, uh, turn out so cohesive and they just totally sound like uh, a single unit, and it's great.
2: Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, uh, the flow doctor here is gonna uh, call out some some of my favorite lyrics from the mm-hmm. song massage seats uh you know when i i like when they get in the nba references oh Uh, freddie is big on those verse one we've got golden state the roster my garage deep floating in the foreign on massage seats uh i like that golden state the roster that's some latin um poetic uh you know word order there Mm -hmm. you know where we uh uh uh, kind of say golden state maybe the most important word and then the roster is there in the middle mm-hmm. um, and then my garage deep we get back to that word deep that kind of relates to golden state and uh, yes. it's a great way of saying uh he has a lot of really nice cars in his garage um, that apparently have massage seats in them which <laughs> um yeah i didn't know that was like a ferrari option but uh, uh I hope it it's is.
1: that's got to be aftermarket i gotta <laughs> <laughs> later in this,
2: uh, uh, in the same song, he says, shot collar, put them shooters on you. Like Dan Tony. That's Ooh, good. Yeah. Uh, top dollar lock me up and I make the bond. No big baller father. You, my son, like Lonzo bitch.
1: Damn. That's, that's some,
2: this is some deep NBA shit. Mm-hmm, right it's very, very uh pleasing to me.
1: <laughs> um, hey, you know, I saw him, uh, a month or two ago and, uh, I may have mentioned this on the podcast already, but in case I didn't, he was wearing just a sick pair of NBA shorts, namely, um, I, some mid nineties NBA, uh, uh, Eastern conference all-star, mm-hmm. uh, shorts with like the le- logos of all the teams sort of plastered all over it. And then I think he had a bulls Jersey on top, um, which he's from Gary, Indiana. So that makes sense. Yes. Um, and
2: to, uh, uh, somebody, you know, i I I don't know what Bulls jersey. I'm just gonna guess Ben
1: Gordon. That's no, where I go. It was more like nineties Bulls. Mm. Uh, it was, yeah. Damn, I can't remember. It wasn't Jordan or Pippen, the obvious ones. But um yeah. Uh Maybe the man gotta loves gotta basketball. Be Super Agent BJ Armstrong.
2: <laughs> still making that money.
1: Yeah. BJ, uh I wonder if he still looks like he's twelve.
2: Yeah, probably. Uh three time NBA champion. Yeah. Um, and uh, we started a previous podcast with Flat Tummy T, and that's mm-hmm. another outstanding one.
1: Just absolutely great. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, oh yeah, Paul Palmolive, the track with uh, uh, a somewhat not typical uh, Killer Mike, uh, but an excellent push of T on it is uh, really good, too, if you ask me.
2: Yes. Yes. Uh, and, uh, I mean it features push a
1: t so. yeah just give me all the push T. t i can't <laughs> <laughs> um
2: okay uh one of the best albums of the year so far no doubt mm-hmm. um anything else a,
1: no let's move on to another excellent album uh, yeah
2: let's chat about uh tom york's latest solo album anima
1: Yes, which we both received our deliciously extravagant physical copies of today. Mm, that orange final drip. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, yeah, there's a joke here about that orange. I don't know. Never mind. Um, let's play a track. Yeah.
2: That was uh, Not the News, uh, one of the nine tracks uh, from Tom York's new album, Anima. Mm-hmm.
1: Have you listened to the 10th vinyl track that's uh, not in the digital version, Joe? I haven't gotten there yet.
2: No. Not worried about it. I hear <laughs> it's good. Um, wouldn't be surprising. Uh, because the uh, nine proper tracks on the album are uh, very good. They are
1: um yeah uh tom york um you know it's funny it's like uh he's done three of these solo albums now Mm -hmm. and they're all uh sort of like latter day radiohead minus any of the rock stuff Mm -hmm. um and uh i don't know it's funny how that uh they both help you appreciate how much the band brings to the album because um it's just more different than you would expect for the guy who writes all the songs anyway um to be on his own uh, mm-hmm. especially when that's already a big studio product every time um and the same producer and everything but there's a i mean it's not that surprising i guess lots of artists move around between different modes in different projects but um every time it gets a little bit more uh, polished and a little bit more sophisticated maybe you would say yeah. Is that how you feel
2: yeah, absolutely. Um I think there's uh something here. There's a tension here that um feels uh natural and interesting um and organic uh that that his other albums didn't quite have. Um felt like the I feel like both The Eraser and Tomorrow's Modern Boxes, there there was some something easy about those and something um secondary to them. Um, but but here, um, and as you said, all these albums have been about you know computer processed, computer generated beats mm-hmm. um, as the primary instrumentation. But here, I feel um, you know Tom is at last kind of acknowledging instead of kind of running towards those, he's kind of acknowledging there's like a shortcoming. there's 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 like a tension in the relationship between him and his computer. Mm. you know, where's the love? there's like uh, as he sings like I thought we had a deal um, <laughs> and there's there's this little bit of a breakdown. you know you you can just kind of relate um, to this uh, minimalist quest that he's on um, finally. And, um, yeah, and I I think the, the main reason of that is that from tracks one through nine, um, this is like a singular musical object. Yeah. Uh, It, it, it makes much more sense as one cohesive thing. Um, despite the, the tracks are distinct and they, they are fun to listen to, um, you know, out of order or one at a time, but still uh, they blend into one another and there's a definite journey here and uh yeah that sort of ambition um I don't know but like I said it it was it was missing or incomplete in his other solo work and here um uh it's it's finally um kind of giving body to to what he's putting together
1: yeah I like your point about the um the flow and sort of structure of the album because it does uh, it goes uh, it starts off a little more beat driven and then it gets um, softer at points and then goes back up. And uh, the first time I listened to this, I told you this offline, Um, but uh, I ended up just like getting obsessed with the idea of like creating a pop-up dance club where that just plays this uh, whole album all the way through complete with, appropriate lighting and uh mood and stuff and i was like i was thinking about like okay so for the up parts yeah we want everybody to be getting up moving around dancing with like you know uh, uh whatever a professional lighting guy which i'm not would do be it strobes or whatever um but then you know during the down slower parts We want to have like love sacks lying around or something where everybody could just sort of like lounge and bliss out for a minute. But then you'd have Mm -hmm. to get them back up. So then I was thinking like, all right, we need some like uh, party leaders in the crowd to um, sort of cue everybody to act appropriately um, for each track. But anyway, this will uh, (laughs) not likely happen, but I think that would be completely fucking awesome. Some random Uh,
2: dancers painted in
1: neon. (laughs) Yes, absolutely, man. That's uh, that's do it. (laughs) <laughs> it would be that would be like the coolest club experience you could have, I feel like. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess we got a very different audio visual dance experience from the excellent uh Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, uh, partial uh video imagining of this music.
2: Yeah, you know, that's it's it's worth a, a slight detour there. I did enjoy. Um, the 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 modern dance performance in that uh, Netflix special um, mm-hmm. shot beautifully as uh, Paul Thomas Anderson always manages to do, um, mm-hmm. uh, as he he did the two music video proper's for uh, "Mood Shaped Pool" as well as two uh, live performances with Tom and Johnny that are on YouTube. Oh, uh, I haven't
1: even heard of those I yeah oh my
2: that. god they're fucking awesome he did one for um uh, particularly the one for the numbers is just fantastic mm. but they're they're kind of out um on a hill in california once during the day once during the night um and they're they're just fantastic um that sounds cool yeah uh and um and here you know i kind of um I guess the one thing I took from, from these performances that, that uh, star a lot of talented modern dancers and then kind of feature Tom and his uh, current girlfriend, um, whose name I don't know. Oh, they're
1: dating? Okay. Yeah, yeah they, <laughs> they've
2: been dating for a while. Um, and uh, she's also in the video for uh, uh, Lift, uh, uh. where she and his daughter come in and, and uh, just totally uh, ignore and shun him. <laughs> uh, that scene is much funnier <laughs> you know it's them. um that's funny uh but yeah there's a there's a lot of you know the that that power that comes from modern dance where it's not everything's not perfectly in sync but you know the the dancers are taking the movements and really um allowed a lot of like freedom and flexibility to how they interpret them yeah. um and you can see tom kind of having some liberties with it and, and enjoying it um and that, um, that a little bit of that freedom definitely, uh, it works with this album. Uh, it mm-hmm. definitely works in the context of this music in particular. Um, where it might be a, a lot more awkward with Radiohead's extremely, extremely processed and produced music. Like, we're down to the like second, it's just been debated <laughs> endlessly.
1: Yeah. That's what it feels like anyway. I always wonder, like, you know, there must be some way they just, inter- and like, oh, that does sound cool. And then obviously they fuck with it. But um, they can't plan every last sound. But it does sound like I, they do.
2: I was reading, and I, I, I don't know how much of this is rumor or true, but that, like, King of Limbs, a lot of it, they recorded their individual parts to vinyl before, like, then mixing them again. I, this Radiohead is crazy band.
1: <laughs> yeah, they are. Um I mean just witness Tom's decision to like well as I age I'm just gonna I'm just gonna embrace uh, bedraggled as my aesthetic mm-hmm. physically and uh I will look more and more like somebody who um was recently pulled out of the sea after a shipwreck um but you know we all have to figure out how to age as gracefully as we can got, mm-hmm. no, got no beef with the man um no great album and uh yeah the music it's uh I guess I don't know How would you compare the mood and feel of this album to, like, a Radiohead album? It's pretty similar, but it feels... I mean, in that there's a lot of um, sort of, like, uh, beatified angst going on. Um, You know, trying to create the sublime out of things that... Out of the feeling of everything kind of sucks. But, uh, I don't know. Maybe there's nothing on a Radiohead album lately... That's as like, purely, um, just sort of lovely as something like Don Chorus. I don't know, but even that is pretty melancholy.
2: Man, that's a, it's a it's important um, to kind of justify this album, like outside of the context of Radiohead, especially as we call it, or as I call it, Tom Yorke's best solo effort. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I think, think that that. Um, I can't remember if I said that just said this, but the the, the minimalism of it of it and the restraint um, mm-hmm. really feels justified um, in a way that that I don't think Radiohead. It's weird to say they never show restraint, but they are they're always it's always lush and indulgent, even in mm-hmm. like the most minimalist tracks. And here, the minimalism is about fewer words about uh letting the music play yeah Um, more repetition more club like structures a moment happens and there's no need to um uh kind of prove it's worth the rest of the song to the rest of the album but instead to just say this is the this this moment is what we thought worked right now and mm-hmm. and kind of put string those moments together, and I I don't know that's it's trying kind of trying to just uh, talk about how an album that's like nine tracks and like <laughs> maybe twenty seven different moments of of beats kind of you know makes sense as a whole. I mean, there's probably not a great number of words for that. Yeah. Um, but um,
1: well, I think maybe what you're describing a little bit is like the difference between the temp, the rock template and the uh, electronic music template where yeah. you know, rock is about dynamism and shifting between uh, not always obviously these are generalizations uh, shifting between movements and mm-hmm. so forth whereas electronic music is more about sort of like slow it tends to be more about slowly adding and subtracting from the same uh, you know ba- basic structural unit uh, to create that uh, that narrative flow to a track or an album
2: totally and I think Don chorus as is, is a great example of that because you know from the start to the end of the song it, it, you'd be hard-pressed to kind of uh, demonstrate how you know this huge sea change but there's so much um, so many little melodies within each note so much um, pulling um, kind of each each choice each press of the key um one way or another that they kind of create this emotional movement within them um and especially of course you have tom york's voice (laughs) crystal clear above them that helps anything but you you know if you you kind of hear those words that like you know if you could do it all again there's um yeah there's as you said there's this real um these real subtle shifts that when mm-hmm. you listen to um you know five and a half minutes of them you know you've been on a journey even though it's not it's not like a rock epic or the typical rock structure of a song that really does have a built-in um kind of you know build variation to a climax
1: yeah yeah, yeah. totally There you go. I guess that's why these uh, Tom York solo albums exist, because he's not doing rock. He's doing something else.
2: Uh, Yes. Um, And, Paul, I have to say that uh, as a final note, um, uh, I happen to read um, parts of, uh, not all of, because, uh, honestly, it's a story that is so creepy that I (laughs) had problems reading all of it. Um, Harlan Ellison's uh, I Have No Mouth, But I Must Scream.
1: Oh, I've heard of this. I've never yes, read it. Yes,
2: uh, it's a it's a, a post post apocalyptic science fiction short story about um, uh, after World War Three. Sup, uh, one supercomputer has won the war, um, and it it hates humanity for creating it, and it's uh, basically torturing the last five humans left alive forever. Mm. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, I was and, skeptical when you said it was too creepy to read, but that actually sounds pretty brutal. Um, and
2: spoiler alert: uh, four of them managed to die, so the one the one left oh. is is really tortured forever. Um, and that that meshed well with this. Oh
1: uh, no! Not that it is torturous to listen to, but no, I not to at saying. all, not at yeah. all.
2: But um, uh, Tom York's sort of uh, crypt that's not the right cyber uh nihilistic apocalyptic vision Mm, that's Um, a fair way to put it uh still is still underwriting this as it has underwritten so much of what he's he's done basically Um, everything
1: since okay computer yes
2: and this is a this is a, a worthwhile and new uh uh there's new insight here Mm-hmm. from him and 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 definitely not just like uh, another version of what he's done um yeah. in, in radiohead
1: there we go i agree yeah.
2: uh don't read that story just don't read it <laughs>
1: <laughs> i might have to read it now shit <laughs> um yeah yeah sci-fi is one of those things that i have um, exposed myself to a little but not the like depths of it and uh interesting uh interesting story i should anyway let's not get into a sci-fi tangent yeah yeah uh, yeah yeah uh, uh okay so uh we have a few more topics joe we do
2: we need to keep talking mm-hmm. um we're paid by the minute mm-hmm. uh zero
1: dollars but still this is this is a computer torture <laughs> zero by forever. the minute. <laughs> we just have to podcast about music yes. for eternity <laughs> um
2: Okay, so, Paul, we have uh, two um, old albums to talk about. Um, let's start with an album whose 20th anniversary is upon us. Um, it's Sigur Roses Algaitis Byroun.
1: Oh, is that how you say
2: it? It sure is, because that's the correct way to say it.
1: I believe you. I just don't. Never-
2: niger hits <laughs> it hits uh, delicately but strikingly
1: it, it hits slowly yes
2: um yeah uh, yeah that's uh uh that's track 5 uh, from our guide to Knee rune battery uh, which means um surprisingly new battery in ah. Icelandic. There you um, go, and uh, we'll we'll crop that so we hear the beat drop, and uh, later, and really gets rolling, um, mm-hmm. as many Seeger Rose songs do. Um, yeah, in a way that, uh, I don't know, to, to unique to this band, um, while not perfectly, uh, well not. Totally free of cliche, um, is uh just surprisingly good over and over again. Yeah, uh, these just powerful orchestral, uh, pop, alt, rock, um, operatic songs.
1: Yeah, it's hard to say, like, what I was just thinking about this, like, what is What sets them apart from Mm -hmm. your classic post-rock band? Which is like, that's basically the post-rock thing is these complicated arrangements and slow building structures. You get that with um, uh, Godspeed You, Black Emperor, and Mm -hmm. some other contemporaries. Um, But I don't know. It's just like more Uh, ethereal more um mystical more nordic in a word yeah (laughs) coming from them it feels more like you're in a forest where uh pagan nymphs uh still hold sway um and uh i don't know the it really is like maybe it's just the combination of the weird orchestral you know noodling horns uh and then the way they mix those up with uh, more traditional poppy hooks, like the bassline to that song, mm-hmm. or like the piano on, I think it's Olson Olson.
2: Yeah, um, that's I I wrote uh, more pop than you think. Uh, yeah, you know, with their uh, uh, with Sven G and Englar, um, you know, just singing it's you over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> is is a poppy hook, and they uh, pair it with their unique instrumentation. Um That, uh, on the other hand, um, you know, I saw them in you know two thousand one um, in in DC at the nine thirty club, so we're talking like a thousand people, and it's just the four of them on stage. Like it's still. A band, mm-hmm. you know, and they wasn't—they didn't all have keyboards. You know, they were playing guitar and bass and drums. Was one mm-hmm. keyboard, but you know, they were—they were, <laughs> were still a a rock band, able to produce this music, um, this pop music, um, that, as you said, then seems to match the grandeur of um, a seventeen-minute-long Mogwai song.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Mogwai is another good touch point for this. Yeah. Um yeah, I don't know. It's just it's just gorgeous and breathtaking every time. Uh I guess sort of the same way that like uh I don't know, looking at uh, a natural wonder mm-hmm. uh whether it be, you know, just a beautiful glaciated landscape or, you know, uh the Grand Canyon is a slightly different flavor, but that sort of uh sublime awesomeness yeah that is um you know it's like it's so big that you can only take it this is I'm literally like quoting Kant here Mm -hmm. but um (laughs) it's so big that you can't like take it all in at once but the parts that you each part you look at is beautiful and you sort of get a sense of Mm -hmm. the whole by looking at each part in a piece yes um yeah (laughs) it's uh it's really gorgeous and um uh
2: Well, if I I may quote a source equal to Kant, uh, the
1: Mm -hmm. Pitchfork Review (laughs) (laughs) said
2: um, that the album seemed to have been dropped from the heavens. Mm -hmm. And that that really struck a chord with me because it really, it sort of like opened this ancient door in my mind to kind of the ambition possible to the art that I like, to like alternative rock, which at that time, 1999, was the most important art form to me. Maybe equal to literary fiction, but like right there. Yeah. And just, or maybe even to like to open the door between those two in such an accessible way. And it came out of nowhere. I mean, I just, it, that, that, all the stuff we're talking about, it just, there was nothing like it at that point. And yeah, I I think it's novelty then, um, no matter its ultimate. Uh, I don't say value, but all the ultimate like skill involved. The the, the novelty will always mean it was like extremely uh, important.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, dropped from the heavens is a good line, uh, Pitchfork, because you could imagine like uh, approaching a small smoldering crater and finding a a, a meteorite of pure, uh, you know, uh, tungsten or something. Uh, in the center of it with an actual rune carved on it and then you know there's like a a hatch you open up and inside is this album Mm -hmm. yes (laughs) yes i'm right there (laughs) um yeah the only the only thing that sounded and and what's interesting is it does uh, i think you just said this but it sounds uh just as fresh now as it did then like it has not really been replicated this Mm -hmm. type of thing um the mix did sound slightly muddy to me this time when I listened through it, which made me kind of want to drop thirty dollars on the vinyl reissue. Yeah, but it, I
2: kind of, I kind of need that.
1: It didn't say, it doesn't say it's remastered, but they must remaster it in some no, way it is. for the, vinyl. The
2: Spotify tracks say they're remastered, and I, I okay. felt like they were a little better when I was listening to them.
1: Interesting. Uh, so I don't have high quality Spotify, mm. so I don't know if that would be better than my CD, three twenty kbps MP3s. But indeed. Um, would be worth checking out. uh
2: it, se- it seemed a little at least a little clearer but yeah i'm, I'm excited i'm gonna grab that vinyl mm. um yeah i think the the the, um, the last thing that i would say about this album that maybe is what makes it to me um an album that will always be something that i that i love is how much every single track seems to work as like a um a soundtrack Mm-hmm. Um, to both things, to both actual things, and to like, you know, f- fantasies in your mind. Like, these aren't just songs that you kind of have to, like, y- you can see stories happening to them. And if you, if you like imagining things, if you, if you like, you know, kind of like thinking in, in, in fiction, um, mm-hmm. this album will always be, uh, something that you can really take and put to your own stories. Um, I think like Olsen Olsen, which has my favorite climax on the album. It has that, that piano and that flute mm-hmm. um, just really builds to this beautiful choral climax. And it's like, I, I wish I could like write a movie that would <laughs> use that, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I said to you, like uh, the third track star floor is used in, um uh the life aquatic um Mm -hmm. for the spoiler alert when he sees the leopard shark um (laughs) uh you know very appropriate decides not to destroy it (laughs) (laughs) it's it's really appropriate and that that just kind of like demonstrates you know how this music you don't need to change it at all it's every single track is like the climactic moment of some a uh, different
1: story some deeply bizarre fantastical story <laughs> yeah like yeah. That. yeah you need to reach for the uh the stop motion uh mythical leopard shark to like match your yes. visuals to this music
2: yes and you know paul it it matches well with some of the other music going on at that time um for instance that song knee battery we listened to uh, i thought the horn intro um was kind of a slowed down um um
1: lost pivotal moment from a neutral milk hotel song that is not a bad comparison actually what a transition <laughs> joe <laughs> if you're ready yeah i'm can, ready
2: we can talk about our next topic which is uh neutral milk hotels uh, on avery island um, mm. recently reviewed uh, and pitchforks um i'm gonna call it a really good uh new feature their sunday reviews
1: yeah, it's been going on for a couple of years, but mm-hmm. it's a a welcome innovation for sure. Totally. Uh, um you love to, you you love to see uh uh outlets paying um for long thoughtful reviews of uh not even remotely current albums. Uh, by really good writers. Yeah. Uh so really love the work they do with those even when they re- review mace like they did this week, which is not really up my alley, but um uh, great stuff. So let's listen to a track from On Avery Island. Yes. And. What would I hope? The for? entire
2: last track. <laughs> 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 huh? Perfect. Like, I mean, you know, like, as far as the
3: length of it and stuff and where
2: you ended, it was, was exactly I perfect.
0: A picture of a dead and hanging man Who was kissing foreign fishes That flew right out from his hand And when I put my arms around him Felt the blushing blood run through my cheeks And an airiness around him When his tongue began to speak And he said, oh boy, you are so pretty And after I tied in rice paper string And when I finally kissed him the ring lost like a bell that's tipping over with two cracks along both sides and I knew the world was over so I took a look outside and watched the fires that were reaching up to the weather vane, and the tops of trees and the waiting scene in the Sunday dream are away.
2: Yes, mm-hmm.
1: selling so uh, against sex. Yeah, you know, uh, I was raised um, uh, not against sex, but against sex in most situations, and uh, noth- uh, by with all the force of thousands of years of theological uh, ideology behind it. And uh, I have to say, this is the most effective argument I've heard against mm-hmm. sex. <laughs> um.
2: It, it, yes. Uh <laughs> and um a fun story about this track is that uh Julian Coster mm-hmm. uh, who played bass uh, among other instruments on In the Airplane Over the Sea singing um, saw
1: mm, mm-hmm. not least among them.
2: Yes, uh he uh, before he knew Jeff Mangum or anything about Neutral Milk Hotel uh would he and his friends would listen to this song to get psyched up for going out and dealing with all the <laughs> bullshit. <laughs>
1: that. That's how you know okay, a true that. weirdo.
2: Yes, yes. <laughs> and,
1: That's awesome.
2: Um, and later joined to uh record uh, yeah. in the airplane over the sea. Um and uh yeah, yeah, it's uh this this um I was not I lacked your formal training in being against <laughs> sex but um, in some senses uh you know I I I remain against it it's ter- <laughs> you know all the terrifying uh results of human intimacy that, um you know it's tough there's are still there's still um, the cruelty one,
1: the self-centeredness yeah, as depicted in the song
2: there's still a source of fear and this song and this album um, depict them in a way that no, just no other album does, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it's not—it's um, uh, it's not perfect,
1: no, but it is uh, unique. Yeah, so I listened to—I uh, got the when they released the the vinyl collection of all Neutral Milk mm-hmm. Output a few years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm I got looking it. at it right now. Yeah, mm, me too. Let's touch ourselves. So uh, I'm, tu- no, I'm so touching I- the album okay that's even better yeah. um the uh uh so i listened to that uh for this mm-hmm. first of all uh this music was definitely meant to be on vinyl um yes yes uh yes. i'm not a total vinyl i love vinyl but i'm not a total um uh purist about it but uh for a fuzzy warm uh fairly actually bassy uh for indie rock album like this it's beautiful mm-hmm. um And, uh, uh, my other takeaway, uh, giving it a real good listen was honestly, this is like 93% as good as in the airplane over the sea. Mm, Like,
3: mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I listened to them
1: back to back, uh, because I enjoyed this, uh, so much. And part of it is that I've heard in the airplane over the sea, like five times, uh, more often than, uh, this album. So it's a little bit fresher for me. Um, But, uh, you know, songs like Song Against Sex, uh, 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 many others, uh, Garden Head, Three Peaches, um, are just incredible songs. Yeah. uh, That give you (laughs) all of that Nutramilk Hotel, like, psychedelic uh, 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 melancholy uh, that you could ask for. They do. I
2: mean, I I almost view the, the, when you talk about those two albums, um, uh, I I kind of view it as a, a, an exponential thing where Mm. the, what the neutral milk, uh, I'm sorry, in the airplane over the seas, like 10.0, it's really far up there on the curve, but this like 9.3 that you give this album is also like extremely far up there on the curve from like some other albums, 8.0. So they're both kind of up there. Um, uh, and, yeah, I mean, this, especially the song Garden Head, I mean, I, I definitely, which is Garden Head, Leave Me Alone. Mm-hmm. I just remember when I first, I think, Paul, you, you you, saw both Jeff Mangum and the Neutromoke Hotel. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember when I saw... Jeff Mangum and he played that song. I mean I, I may have had the most personal reaction to it mm. because it's such um it's such a good it's just like an honest uh vulnerable love song mm-hmm. um that um th- this whole th- I'll just the verse the third verse i'll just read it follow me yeah. through a city of frost-covered angels i swear i have nothing to prove there we go that that line there mm-hmm. amazing line number one i just want to dance in your triangles to mm-hmm. give me some reason to move amazing love song uh line number two um but to take on the world at all angles requires a strength i can't use there's just yeah uh, and, and then to get to the end of that of all that is hoping and waiting for you i mean there's just yeah uh, and that's 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 everyone listening to this has either heard that song or is um, hopeless uh, but <laughs> <laughs> we, we can't acknowledge this, this is a fairly obscure album yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's <laughs> <I> okay. <don't care. laughs> you should acknowledge that here on this album at several points he's writing about love in a way that is um even unmatched on in the airplane over the sea where he's kind of moved on to something some other emotions um yeah. at many times where instead here he would just be talking about um sort of human infat- infatuation.
1: Yeah. And then on top of that, like, you're right, the lyrics are awesome, but there's this, like, I don't know what the magic is of, like, in Garden Head, for instance, mm-hmm. the way, along with the chord change, he sort of, like, slides into it with the, leave me alone, um, that is, I don't know, it's, uh, nobody else is, can do that with his voice and give me yeah. goosebumps that particular way yeah bizarre.
2: well you know to to uh to agree and disagree with you it, it's sort of like at that time i was listening to a lot of like early bright eyes and like connor mm. oberst was doing the same thing and there was i don't think connor oberst is as good at it no one's as good at it as jeff Mangum. but there's
1: a, that same sort of like melodic braying quality to his raw yeah
2: power that's that that purposefully ignores sort of the music theory about what they should be doing right then or you know yeah. kind of the pop music theory yeah. um uh is is just
1: it's magnetic mm-hmm. um and, there's definitely nobody who sings badly as well as Jeff mango that I <laughs> yes, know yes <of. laughs>
2: yes um yeah uh and apparently he wrote this song um when he uh hadn't slept for days and had been
1: hallucinating (laughs) it's you know he's one of these people who's like every single song (laughs) yeah like every detail you read about jeff mangum's life and creative process like sounds like something you would read about uh an ancient saint who lived on a pillar in the desert yes um and you know food was brought to him by people whom he then castigated for their sins yeah um, not that that's what Jeff Mangum does but that kind of just like weird ass existence that produces something totally uh, intense and sublime uh, it, it all seems that way I, I would say you know one uh, you know
2: Reed um, we haven't directly addressed it but uh, uh, Sasha Geffen's uh, article um, for mm-hmm. the um, for the Pitchfork Sunday review, where she talks about this album and, and talks about why it's kind of an important part, uh, is it almost as important as in the Airplane Over the Sea? Uh, mm-hmm. Is great and uh, definitely um, if you like this album, um, you know. Uh, Kim Cooper's amazing 33 and a third book about in the airplane over the sea spends a lot of time talking about this album too. And it's just, uh, just absolutely essential. If you're interested, that's where I got that Julian Costner story. Like Uh, if you love, you know, these two albums, you you spend the $10 and read the like 80 page long book.
1: I should probably go on Amazon or wherever after this podcast and, find like 15 different 33 and a thirds to buy yes totally uh, but this this is the one that you'll just
2: if it's it's such it's such an album that needs someone to write like a mm. hundred page book about it Um, it also led me to for some reason she included the addresses and photos of the books of the uh, sorry the houses he was living in when he wrote this which led me to drive by them in athens
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, uh, I didn't, I, I visited Athens a few years ago and, uh, went to an exhibit on the, uh, there was a museum doing an exhibit on the elephant six, Nice. uh, uh collective. Um, and I was guided to it by the bassist from the band pylon, which is also reviewed on pitchfork. Mm. Um, uh, but, uh, that was definitely super cool. Uh, it was like a lot of their like visual art, uh, up on the walls and stuff. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, like I said, I don't know that fascination with the details of how it was made. I think comes from that sense that this is just like, like just so weird and uh, some sort of uh, eruption into our plane from some other one that you have to like you're you're drawn to try to figure out like like what actually made this happen? How did it work?
2: Yeah, Paul, have you ever, have you ever um, back in the like Napster type days downloaded the early Neutral Milk Hotel demo
1: albums? Um, so, are those the ones that are included on uh, mini vinyl discs in the in the set? Or they not? are not.
2: They're okay. are like they're called like Beauty and Hype City soundtrack, and they're honestly the quality is so bad <laughs> for some of them that they're difficult to listen to. But some of those songs are on there. But
1: interesting, yeah, uh, um, yeah. Speaking of the ancillary discs in the vinyl uh, package, it's funny because they are a couple that have like just sort of. Uh, early or alternate recordings of a lot of these songs Mm -hmm. or just some other solo Jeff Mangum things. And one thing you notice listening to those is like the guy really did have a lot of songs that with just him on the guitar uh, and him singing, you sort of get a little bit more, uh, I don't know, without the extra instrumentation, you sort of understand the core of what he's doing and how it's doesn't always change as much as it feels like it does on the finished albums. Mm Mm-hmm. But there's some really good tracks there. And then you have the, uh, is it Little Birds? Is that the name of it? Uh, The two versions of that. Dear God. Just, just. That song is so
2: fucking good. Savage music. I remember. Sometime in the mid 2010s, I want to say it's like 2010, maybe actually early, 2011, 2012, I went through a phase where for like three straight months, anytime I like. was it any form intoxicated. I was just like listening <laughs> to that song and
1: just going uh,
2: off a cliff of emotion.
1: That's fair. It's so good. It's so good. Uh, but then the funny thing is the one other like proper release in there is the um, uh, is Everything, it, Everything is. is. Yeah. And, you know, what's funny is for a long time, I wasn't too interested in the Nutramilk Hotel, uh, you know, uh, Arcana. Mm-hmm. Um, because – That's, like, the one thing where it doesn't really feel like he knew what he was doing. Like, he was trying to reach for for a sound that didn't come off to me. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that release? Um, so, let's see. Let me look at the track list for it. I mean, to me, it's, like, the songs underlying it are probably okay, but, like, the, the way he tried to make it weird on that one just, like, feels like a guy who didn't have a grasp of his particular, uh... Uh, way of of doing his sound you know yeah
2: i i get that and i think that i think that um i've always enjoyed the weird super weird like antigma blowtorch on that um but uh yeah i agree completely i think that he um was hiding too much yeah um on that album and i think that that's sort of what um Uh, he kind of discarded one layer of that psychedelic psychedelica
1: yeah to
2: get to you know these two unbelievable albums Mm -hmm. yeah and uh yeah and it's still the songs below it are awesome i also think that um he i'd say the other thing is that on this he he had such good songs by the time he recorded uh, on Avery Island, that he was able to pull it off without like a proper band, mm-hmm. but that on everything is the lack of a proper band is um uh where he's just doing everything mm-hmm. is perhaps a a detriment to it. Um,
1: that, that, that sounds fair. Yeah. Hmm.
2: And that's you know that's that's if you if you went and you saw. I'm sure if you saw the band back in the day, but if you saw, you know, the Neutral Milk Hotel reunion tour, you realize that everyone in that band fucking rules. Yeah. <laughs> they're all awesome, and like, yes, they were led by like, you know, someone who is debatably the best songwriter of this that particular period. But like, they they were all very fucking good at what they were doing.
1: Yeah. No. The the. I don't know. They they really come together in a in a very band sense on uh, neutral mil- or in the airplane over the sea, with the the horn freakouts and mm-hmm. what have you. Uh, it really it really he figured out how to make uh, all that add something to his awesome, weird, completely bizarre, inimitable uh, melodies and acoustic. Uh, things that he normally does
2: yes the story i tell bill Simmons style all the time is like when i saw (laughs) them when i saw a nudibank hotel and they played the fool Mm -hmm. and scott spillane was there you know playing the horn yeah you're like you're just like jeff mangum's not singing here this is this is like a scott spillane song and i'm just like uh, this is like one of the most important songs of like my childhood of like dying, listening to this, you know, uh. and that's that right there is is kind of you know that's why you get the ten point for the airplane and and maybe not on on Avery Island, but yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. It's 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 uh, uh, well, man, we we fought and fought, but we decided on Avery Island was a good really good album. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that was tough, man. All this disagreement is uh, (laughs) testing our friendship. Um, Scott Spillane has a three-sentence Wikipedia article, the last of
2: which is, he is known for his
1: magnificent
2: beards.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I've seen them, and I agree that that is worthy of recording on Wikipedia for all time until some editor decides it's not relevant.
2: Uh, Paul, we've been talking for a while. And mm-hmm. uh I you know we have like a kind of a final topic that I was interested in discussing. Mm-hmm. Um let's get into it briefly.
1: Yeah. Cool. Uh yeah, you had uh I forget whether there was a a news peg for this as they say. But no, you wanted to was, discuss There was
2: a um there may have been at the time. Um but Paul I actually would I'd love to play a track. Sure.
0: I live on a ranch in California. Mm-hmm. I just bought it a while ago from uh, these two lawyers, and uh, there was an old man living on it. I don't know if you have things like that here, like uh, foreman on ranches. It's like an old caretaker he takes care of all the cows, and fences, and everything. So I wrote this song for him. life I'm a lot like you were old man look at my life 24 and there's so much more live alone in a paradise that makes me think of two Love lost such a cost Give me things that don't get lost like a coin that won't get tossed rolling home to you my life, I'm alive.
2: That was uh, Neil Young. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've heard of him. Yeah, Uh, uh, it was him. um, Kind of old, uh, older, older artist. Uh, It was from his 1971 uh, BBC concert on Mm -hmm. YouTube, and it was his song "Old Man." Look at my life. Yeah. Wow, Neil Young. I guess, man, interesting. So maybe it's an artist we should revisit.
1: I think uh, I think he's worth uh, a, a reappraisal. We should consider, really you, know, you
2: know, here's the thing. Maybe we should consider making him one of the foundations of everything we know about uh, rock and folk music. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, like, uh, you could argue the Beatles and even the, there are a number of bands you could argue are more, um, like, I don't know better in some sense but neil Mm -hmm. young is like the guy that i feel the most kinship to from that age
2: totally oh my god yeah yes and uh you know okay he's born in canada but he's a little more american Mm -hmm. than like the beatles and rolling (laughs) stars
1: yeah yeah way more
2: way more he's like really californian in his like
1: yeah he he'd spent his adulthood pretty much in la so yeah that 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 fits absolutely
2: um so I I bring this final point up um that uh, it's a, it's a topic of discussion that that has interested me in various forms um and uh it's really exemplified by the fact that I got together with some of my college friends uh, this this past weekend, and the main musical event of this weekend is the time the one afternoon that we were kind of sitting around and chilling, and what we put on was this the recording of this BBC concert, this Neil Young mm. concert, which is 48 years old, mm-hmm. and it's awesome. Uh, but I've started to think about this, and in the context of, you know, uh, my wife's one or her one of, if not her favorite, artists is Bruce Springsteen. And, you know, uh, my dad played me Bruce Springsteen records, and thinking about the Beatles, and there's a lot of 50 year Beatles reissues coming out. And just in the context that we, as, as these millennials, and especially as older millennials, um, are maybe being asked to carry the weight uh, of this boomer music forward to yet another generation, mm. um, and and kind of what responsibility we have with that, and and kind of what it means. I mean that that it, uh, as much as I want to play my kids. You know, at some point, the Nirvana Unplugged album. Mm-hmm. That I'm also playing it as a point of, well, it's just like all these Neil Young albums that this is, you know, that there's some, there's some derivatives of, you know, or there's some Dave, there's David Bowie that this comes from, or just all these songs that our parents were listening to growing up, or could have been, um, if they were cool. Um, that we still are maybe or maybe not saying you're like the 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 best music you can listen to huh
1: um so i wonder did you actually you may not have seen this i a few weeks ago i actually tweeted uh boomerism peaked on side one of after the gold rush which is another Neil Young album. No,
2: but that's a wow. <laughs> Love it.
1: Love that yeah. tweet. We're there's some
2: there's some convergence here.
1: Yeah. Um which go look at or go listen to the first half of that album. It's fucking incredible. Oh, it's it's uh, awesome. Yeah. Um but uh yeah, you know, I think it's uh you know, I think it this question mostly arises because recorded music is relatively young as mm-hmm. an art form. Mhm. Um We're really talking about uh, a century at most at this point. And as far as high-quality recordings, we're talking about half a century. Um, And uh, whereas, you know, we have letters literally going back to uh, Homer at least. uh, So multiple thousands of years. Um, And so uh, I think when we think about what are the greatest – Uh, written works of all time or the greatest uh, uh, works of visual art of all time when we have you know beautiful sculptures from the Greeks on Um, we uh, we're a little bit more used to the idea that um, some things are going to get filtered out by time and uh, a lot of them might be you know better than things that we you know really love for like you know a few years now um, but they're just lost because there's just too much stuff. Um, so I think with, when you're talking about boomer music, you're talking about the dawn of like hi-fi recording, the, of, of music where you're not making compromises with technology to hear, you know, a first rate, uh, product or close to it. Um, and, uh, we are right now dealing with the fact uh, not only is is it young, but also we're sort of going through the first stage where we can clearly say that um, there's been an epochal shift in the uh, style uh, of the music being recorded. Where you know, obviously, people still make rock. This has been a long time subject of this podcast, um, but it's not the dominant uh, form anymore, and so it's mm-hmm. even more uh it's even more uh what's the word i'm looking for um uh blah blah, blah. not piquant. this is another word anyway it's even more uh it seems even more appropriate to sort of start doing this archival stuff because we're at a point where uh young people aren't naturally going to be drawn maybe to some of this boober music the way that like you know you and i grew up and uh like anybody else um we heard some stuff from our parents and we also Mostly listen to whatever trash was on the radio at the time. Mm. and right now <laughs> star yeah but, um, you know, like I always felt some sense that you know there must be a lot of great rock music from uh, before I was born that uh, I should properly uh, acknowledge and, and respect mm-hmm. whereas somebody who grows up being like, you know, I really love um uh i don't know uh let's say uh young thug or something Mm -hmm. may not feel as naturally inclined to look back that far just because uh it's harder to draw the connections between that music and the stuff they love which there's nothing wrong with that that's
2: true maybe i'm maybe i am um underestimating the degree to which the my children will enjoy young thug and will only appreciate Neil Young as sort of a uh, charming uh, novelty.
1: Well, I I don't think I was going to say that either, though. Um, Okay. Because uh, I think, well, I guess it depends on what your children are like. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's going to pass into the realm where like, uh, only people who are really interested in it are going to go back and learn a lot of that old music, and that's kind of just how it's going to be. It's going to become a more esoteric subject, um, something for people who want to learn about art history, in a sense, um, as opposed to just consuming the things that are more immediately contemporary or closely related to that, which is contemporary. And in some sense, that's a shame, but in other Mm -hmm. sense, it's completely inevitable. (laughs) Uh, You know, there's all kinds of stuff that you and I are ignorant of. That's probably great. That certainly meant a lot to people at the time. And if those people were here today, they would be fairly gobsmacked that we weren't also, uh, uh astounded by it. Um, yeah. so, you know, the, the great things will live on, uh, True. in some sense or other. Some of them will remain <gasps> popular just as like, you know, everybody knows the story of Romeo and Juliet or whatever. Now everybody knows Beethoven's ninth symphony. Hmm. Um, Well, And
2: I I think that your point about recorded music is really important here because, you know, even the amount of recorded music or decently recorded music that we had access to was in many ways kind of limited. mm -hmm. Um, There's like
1: twice as much of it now as there was when we were born, which is crazy.
2: (laughs) Yes. And when you think about like, uh, you know, by uh, somebody like probably even more than twice as much, I mean. You know, well I, twice as many years same rate of production yeah, yeah. yeah. twice yeah. as
1: many years of it is what i meant
2: yeah I mean, but you think about you know something like miles davis uh you know kind of blue mm-hmm. i mean obviously uh th- there was no barrier to uh to to me um you know listening to that and loving it and it being continually something i want to listen to um even though th- that form of music you know, there's there's such a faint line between mm-hmm. that and most of the music I enjoyed mm-hmm. as a young man. So, um, yeah, maybe that's simply the answer that there's just uh, the people now, kids now, the youth now will just have <laughs> to deal with a larger backlog backlog of good music to go through and sort through. Yeah, and 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 we. Then, And I think that will be sort of the, I think that it still presents us with a a decision Mm -hmm. about how much, you know, a lot of the music we like, we loved as kids, still love, is there's a direct line between like the, the Beatles and Rolling Stones and Neil Young and that music. Mm-hmm. So we will still kind of have this decision about how much we will kind of present that source text and mm. talk about that source text and you know as taste makers yeah uh continue to uh uh push its relevancy,
1: yeah, and I mean, I think that it will be uh you know people who are really interested in the topic of what is what is what? What is all the greatness that recorded pop music has to offer? Mm-hmm. They will always, they will always want to go back to all the stuff that is truly good, and they will be uh, appraising and reappraising those things. And uh, those artists will gain and lose reputation long after they and we are gone amongst those people. And uh, uh, you know, some of it, like I said, the the real highlights will remain popular. Uh, or known at least forever Um, and a lot of other stuff will be accessible to those people who want to find out about it and some things will be forgotten about and then rediscovered and it is our job as tastemakers and honestly it's the job of future tastemakers to uh, continue that work Um, and I'm not too worried about whether people will keep doing it I'm sure that they will Um, uh, but it's not going to be something that is always a big part of the popular contemporary conversation all the time, you know. Just as uh, you know, reading um, uh, uh, to to give an example, I just recently read a novel in which the author, the the main character, is a scholar on uh, uh, Joris Karl uh, or Joris Jori Karl Huysman. I'm mm-hmm. trying to f- Francify that. Who was an author I had never heard of uh, from the late 19th century um a frenchman um but uh he presents this uh the the character is basically like all he does is write about this guy for Mm. uh at the sorbonne uh and um uh it's the kind of thing where you know some of these people are uh just going to be known by enthusiasts and that's okay
2: yeah true very true um and it's not i mean i guess you can't it's it's hard to imagine a world where neil young is has has faded into that kind of obscurity yeah um,
1: so he was in crosby stills nash and young who have just some all-time hits yeah that will remain in you know tv shows and mo- and movies for forever it's um, true yes so i think you know people like on that level <laughs> sampled in yeah Pe- <laughs> people on that level will remain known and then you know something like you know, I can imagine a band of the stature of like, uh, you know, Jefferson Airplane becoming something where like, only if you're pretty into uh, the history of pop music would you know about. But yes, uh, you know, yes.
2: But if yeah. you if
1: you are into them into that, you will know about it, and uh, it's it's okay. You know, it's a conversation for people to can, to opt into if they're interested in that, and mm-hmm. to they don't have to if they don't want to.
2: Yeah, White Rabbit is. Um uh, only a song in um, uh, Fear and Loathing and nothing else. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> Has no other context. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Ben, you know, it's that's okay. Fine. That's fine. Time that's passes. That's all right.
2: For, yes, yes. There's no need to force the lesser stuff Yeah. onto people.
1: You know, new culture is produced and mm-hmm. is uh, uh, baffling to some of us olds, uh, but some of it is also really good um and that's how it goes yeah and there's paul there's there's um there's no need to force us onto anyone yeah Uh, but
2: you should still rate us five stars absolutely if you're into savage beast
1: on apple podcasts as it is now god
2: please 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 (laughs) please on this this soon to be broken and dated platform venerate (laughs) us
1: also uh we next time we should address it but some people have been sending us some emails so keep that up yeah, and uh, hit us up on our social medias. Oh, We've uh, fired up the the dormant Instagram a little bit.
2: Yeah, uh, follow us on Instagram. We're both gonna rock that. Yeah, I hate Twitter now. Yeah, I've forsaken
1: Twitter. I still get on it, but it really is not fun like it was a fucking decade ago. Can you I believe live, that? You
2: know, if I messed up, love to love to tweet a Spotify link, but otherwise, fuck that.
1: Yeah, no, Instagram is is fun. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh we got some pretty vinyl to post. Mm so much. Go look at a photo of Paul and I when we were, you know, nineteen twenty.
1: Yeah. Uh Jesus. Yeah, we were uh-huh. twenty. Uh huh. We wow. wow. Yeah. Yep. No, you might have been nineteen even. Damn.
2: I think I was. It was April. Damn. Yeah. Um <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a good photo. And uh, see
2: the mythical swan shirts as yes, discussed on our two previous episodes episode ago. Though. Yeah.
1: Anyway, thanks, everybody. This has been very fun. And uh, Mm. go listen to an old album you've never listened to before. It'll be good. Yeah. Make sure it's the Neil Young album. Yeah, uh, there are enough of them. that There's definitely a great one you haven't listened to. (laughs) Good night. Good night.